Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. CGFE has just helped a guy named Michael Abraha, a journalist based in Eritrea. He was forced out of his home in Kenya. The threats found him. In Kenya, CJFE has a fund, the Journalists in Defense Fund. They helped him get somewhere safe. Become a member to help people just like that at cjfe.org. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, the easiest way to create a beautiful website or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and great 24-7 customer support. Try it at squarespace.com and use the offer code CANADALAND to get 10% off. Our new podcast is called The Imposter. Its host is Chandler Levac. She'll be with me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Eileen Kilgore, Alan Booth, Michael Vasilev, Martha Farquhar McDonnell, Alexandra Bauer, Suzanne Urbancic, Mel Coulson, and Shannon Blake. Shannon, why did you decide to be awesome? Because the show features the voices of uh, Indigenous people. It features the voices of people of color. And because in a media environment, especially, where um, a lot of voices seem to exploit young workers, I really appreciate how you seem to be treating your staff. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of 
getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by Casper.com. Casper makes mattresses. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Casper has cut out the middleman. They have cut out these massive showrooms. Bowling alley-sized retail spaces. you got to pay for that rent when you buy a mattress from these other companies. You've got to go through a whole lot of hassle, and then you end up paying a whole lot more. You don't need to do that. Casper will send a mattress to your house. They sent one to mine. It has just the right sink, just the right bounce. Two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, come together for better nights and better days. That's the ad copy. I can tell you personally that I have never slept better than I am sleeping now on my Casper mattress. There is a risk-free trial and return policy. You can try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days. They send it to you for free. You don't want it. They come and pick it up for free. They would like you to know that it is made in America. Okay, fair enough. How about the price? It's $725 for a twin, $1275 for a king-size mattress. That is a lot cheaper than industry averages. That is a lot less than you're going to spend at one of those big showrooms. And if you go to casper.com slash CanadaLand right now, you will get $50 towards any mattress purchase by using the offer code CanadaLand. They sell pillows and sheets, too. I haven't tried them. Our editor, Jane, got one of their pillows, and she swears by this pillow. Terms and conditions apply. Go to casper.com slash CanadaLand. What have I been doing with my life? Well, Jesse, I was born in St. Michael's Hospital in 1986. <laughs> I've, well, I've mostly been a print journalist, I guess. Remember print? That was fun. Uh, since I was 18, or I guess 17. Really? I started writing for school newspapers. When I went to the University of Toronto, so I started in music journalism when I was 15. 
I saw the white stripes on the cover of Spin magazine, and I was like, oh, I thought that was a band that only I knew about. Right. And I read Spin for the first time, and I was like, this is the coolest magazine I've ever read. All of these people are so cool and funny. And I think I read an article by Chuck Klosterman that was about Saved by the Bell, but it was also kind of like a reflection on philosophy in some ways. And I kind of didn't know that you could do that. Like you could be like a pop culture critic. And it seemed to me like that was a really exciting thing. And I love the way that he wrote. So I actually wrote him a letter (laughs) when I was 15, basically asking, how do I be you? Did he write you back? Yeah, he gave me all this advice and he um, sent me this really nice letter back where he was kind of talking about how you shouldn't worry about being cool because coolness is kind of the preoccupation of every music critic. He Um, was Lester Bangs. (laughs) He was, and I'm also almost famous. Also, I watched that the same year, so he was like my Lester Bangs. So um, I was interning at Now when I was 18 as a music intern. And then the next year after that, I got this email out of the blue, which was an editor from Spin asking if I wanted to write like a listings article for them about Toronto. How did they find you? I don't know. Like still to this day, it's one of the weirdest mysteries that's ever happened to me. When I was 20, I got to intern there for a summer in New York, which was this defining like coming of age experience for me, I guess, because I was only interning there for two days a week. I just spent the rest of the time like just walking around New York by myself. I remember like a month of feeling like both the most intense loneliness of my life, but also it feeling like really powerful and like engaged with everything too, where I kind of felt everything made sense. Were you kind of like in that teenage way, like indulging those feelings like you like I am broke and alone in New York and that is lonely, but it's also like I'm going to like. Yeah, really going to soak this up. Yeah. Yeah, and then I like, had never had a serious boyfriend before, and then I met a guy on the subway, and he became my boyfriend for the summer. I got to cover like the Virgin Music Festival, MIA played, and then waited outside for her to get off. MIA, MIA, I just want to talk to you for one second. I'm from like Spin Magazine about punk rock. And her handler was like, leave her alone. And then MIA was like, I've got five minutes for this girl. (laughs) She gave me this like great quote about the Sex Pistols. By the time I was 23, I sort of felt like uh, I peaked and people like weren't interested in me anymore. Why? I guess if you're like that precocious, you know, if like you're really young and really enthusiastic and keen and you think that you, you know stuff about music, it's kind of like a dog that could walk out in their hind legs. Especially if you're a young girl, I think that editors are interested in that idea for a while, but then you kind of age out of it, and then it's like, there's more new, precocious, young people that love music, and so you get older. (laughs) Also, if you're a Canadian interning in New York, you've got to go home. Yeah, yeah, that was the the hard part, I Yeah, but I, okay, I want to back up a bit, though, because... I, I can't reconcile something you said earlier. Like, okay, so you're 15 and you're staring at the cover. Like most 15-year-olds staring at Spin Magazine and, and seeing the White Stripes, a band that they idolize on the cover of Spin Magazine. If they're going to fantasize, their rock and roll dream would be to be in the White Stripes, not to be the pop culture essayist inside the magazine. But that that was your dream. You didn't want to be Meg White or Jack White. You wanted to be Chuck Klosterman. Is that not odd? I've always weirdly romanticized music critics more than people who make music. Bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Least romantic people. Yeah. 
Cameron Crowe is like my favorite film director. Yeah. Uh, John Cusack in High Fidelity. Like there's this kind of male dominated culture. And I think there's this idea in pop culture of like the male music critic. And he's relating records to like his girlfriends and. Well, that's sort of the thing of like the the, the, the dude, the expert, right? The, yeah. the aficionado, the arbiter of taste. Is that the table you want to see that? Well, I think it started to evolve when I kind of realized that maybe I didn't want to be a critic anymore. I also wanted to make my own work. And that's when I went to the Canadian Film Center and started writing screenplays mm-hmm. and making short films and music videos. I think the experience, like, it gave me so much more empathy as a critic because I really realized, like, how hard it is to make something, period. And then how hard it is to actually make something good. Okay, so you've been writing criticism and features and you've been making films and videos. And then you auditioned for us. And Chandler, I will tell you now, we received over 200 applications for your job. And and some of the people who wanted your job, who wanted to host this show, were like polished radio hosts with lots of professional broadcasting experience. They were uh, radio producers, very technically adept people. You don't have any experience in broadcasting, and you don't have any any technical audio training, and I, I don't think it'll hurt your feelings uh, to tell you that you, you don't have a traditional radio broadcaster voice. But your audition got my attention right away because you, you, you sent us this interview that you did with Graham Wright of the band uh, Tokyo Police Club in which you asked him one of my forbidden questions. Like it's a pet peeve question of mine. I have a whole screed about artists getting asked this question. And the, and, and, and the question is, what did it feel like when you hit it big? Because I have never heard an interesting answer to that question. But you got an interesting answer to that question. His answer was cocky and honest and, and, and charming. But his cockiness kind of begged you to ask him a tougher question because, of course, Tokyo Police Club were, you know, they were a buzz band 10 years ago, and, and, and they're arguably not a buzz band anymore. So, you know, what is it like to now feel like you're not making it? Which is a very hard question to ask, especially when you're getting along so well with somebody. But you asked it, and you found a way to do it without being at all offensive. And, and that elicited an interesting answer, too. I want to play that part of your audition reel right now. So what was that like when everyone was like, you're the new hot thing in Tokyo Police Club? <laughs> they all have fake British accents. Yeah, it's so did. weird. Yeah. Uh, it was the best. It was amazing. And, but you didn't know that it was amazing. Because that was all I'd ever done. I like left high school and then this just became my life immediately. So I was like, yes, of course Capitol Records will buy me a steak. <laughs> like, why wouldn't that be happening right now? I'm going to eat the shit out of the steak. Wow. And you didn't have any like imposter syndrome? Or like, oh shit, I don't deserve this. Why am I here? No, I'm like a middle class suburban white guy. I've never had imposter syndrome in my entire life. I don't do more than I have. I read about imposter syndrome and I was like, that? What the hell is that? There are people that don't just constantly think they deserve better than what they have, no matter how good it is. That sounds awful. You guys aren't playing Letterman now. No, they didn't call. What is that like now? Like trying to kind of keep doing it as a fan and... Evolving. It's interesting because everything constantly feels not like failure, but like signifiers of failure. Like, why didn't we play Letterman? Like, weird. Why aren't we getting that much press? What's going on? Like, and that's not unusual, but just because our like our education and being in the music industry was all of it happening and it being really easy and kind of just falling into our laps in a lot of ways. Now that that doesn't happen, it's so. What are we doing? Like, are we doing something wrong or is this just okay? Okay. So after I heard that, I thought if that interview had been recorded properly, I would have been so happy to hang out with those two people for, for another, you know, 10 or 20 minutes or, or whatever. 
And that solidified it for me because like, th- I think that's what we were looking for. That's what we wanted out of a host above any other consideration, especially for an art show. A host should be like that friend who you always will take the opportunity to hang out with because like you can count on it that they are going to have some new movie or comic book or something that they're super excited and passionate about. And they really want you to be super passionate and excited about. They're going to have interesting things to say about it. And if there are other people around, you can just kind of like lean back and and watch them talk to other people because it's just fun to be in their company and and, and listen to them have a conversation. It was me. It was you. I feel like this is, like, my she's all that moment. Like, before I was just, like, a grubby freelancer in, like, paint-splattered overalls. And now I'm, like, walking down the stairs and, like, sixpence on the Richards playing. And you guys are, like, waiting with a Zoom recorder. (laughs) Are you digging it? You've had, like, host boot camp. Yeah. No, I'm really excited. It's been really fun. I mean, I love just having, like, smart conversations with people all day about art. I mean, I can't imagine, like, a better job than that. That's absolute truth. That's It's the life of kings. Like, you knew it when you first, like, approached MIA. Like, it's a wonderful thing yeah. to have this excuse. Like, that's when I, when I first started interviewing people. No, that's people, true. That's the best thing about being a journalist. That's is it. That you can literally go up to anyone and ask them a question. And You listen to a song. You love a band so much or something makes you think or makes you feel a certain way. And, I don't know, I think for a certain kind of person, it's not enough you kind of want to go further and explore it more and being a journalist kind of, you can, I mean, when I was doing like dabbling with arts journalism as a kid, like it wasn't even like I cared about if the article was any good. I just like, this is an excuse for me to call up this cartoonist and they'll sit down with me for an hour and like have a conversation with me about how their stuff made me feel or what they were thinking about when they did it. Yeah. And you can actually talk to them about like things that are weighing on you too. Like I remember, uh, I interviewed Wayne Coyne once from flaming lips. Yeah. And he told me this story about how um, his wife's father had just passed away and they were having sex, but somehow the sex was way better because they're going through all this like trauma in their lives and it, it kind of brought them closer together. And it was the way that he talked about it, it was really beautiful and this kind of like therapeutic experience, but also how sex and death are kind of the same thing. And in his music, he's kind of always exploring that relationship between the two and most like universal feelings are also kind of about those two things. I'm so much more intrigued by discussing that sort of thing than, you know, the, the career of an artist or, mm-hmm. um, or like, you know, the creative process, which I, I, I usually find, I don't know. I, I know the things that I hate. Yeah. Well, and, you know? writers, it's always like, how do you write? Yeah. Do you have a laptop? Do you drink coffee in the morning? What kind of coffee? Do you go to a coffee shop and write? Or do you write at home? Do you have a schedule? Like, people are obsessed with how Where do you get your write. ideas? Yeah, or, like, who are your influences? And I think, as a music journalist, like, everyone knows, like, the same five facts about said band, and then they just kind of get repeated over and over again. Like, they're from Seattle. They're identical twins. They both play the harp. <laughs> and it's all in the press release that came with that album. Like yeah. every, every press release tells, a, like, a little story that, that is fed to the media to yeah. pick up on. So you, you recorded this in a, in a, in a bouncy castle? <laughs> yeah, like, your music video has Pamela Anderson, like, dressed as a giant bear. Tell me about Tell that. Tell me about that. So what do you want to do instead? Like, what's the other thing? We don't want anybody that's on, like, a press tour where they're exhausted and they're going to be asked the same five questions over and over again. For me, I'd rather have someone relay like a personal anecdote or story or talk about something that talk about another artist that they love or something that doesn't even have anything to do with necessarily what they do because that's going to be immeasurably more interesting and probably revealing. 
I think artists get like really tired of talking about their book or movie or, you know, by the time it's finished and they're on this kind of endless promotional tour, they're exhausted and they're tired. There's a lot of amazing artists that come out of Canada, like I think in all aspects. And I think everyone that I've interviewed on the show so far has been incredibly compelling and they all make incredibly compelling work and all different like I interviewed a graphic novelist I've interviewed a performance artist I've interviewed a former musician who owns her own boutique and I think there's just kind of a multiplicity of perspectives and I think it's actually nice to be able to kind of critically engage in Canadian art because I don't think we often take ourselves seriously yeah I'm really interested in people I'm like insanely curious about artists and art and Canadian art and like why people make the things they do and what was that weird time in their life where they were like sitting alone in their room and they blacked out all the windows and like drew murals on the walls and and that's how Grimes made visions you know and and what is it like when you get famous and then all of a sudden nobody wants you want to tour with you anymore and what's it like when you're making art that you know is great and nobody wants it either. And how do you survive? And and how does Canada kind of help its artists and hurt at them at the same time? And what are like the systemic issues that mean that nobody here can actually survive and thrive in a country that like doesn't want its own artists to succeed? You're going to be taking some material from me, but that's only fair. <laughs> so this show is not explicitly like arts criticism. This is not like a thumbs up or thumbs down show. Like we're, I think that we're really driven to like really feature stuff that you love. Mm-hmm. But there's no such thing as talking about art without having a critical disposition. And I don't think it's possible to be critical and to be female and to be on the internet without absorbing a certain amount of backlash and, and sometimes even abuse. Yeah, I remember listening. I was walking down College Street and I have my headphones on, which is pretty much my life all the time. And I was listening to the uh, Shortcuts episode that I think you did with Saatchi. And you mentioned that there were women that wanted to apply for this job, but they were too afraid of getting any attention from MRA supporters on Twitter, just kind of from being a woman on the internet doing in a public job. When I was 22 and a staff writer at iWeekly, I, I kind of bore a little bit of that. And it, it is weird to, I guess, come of age on the internet and also be in like a, a public figure in in some way, like even though you're just writing articles for an alt weekly, but your pictures in the paper every week, where there's kind of this double standard where female critics all of a sudden, they don't like an album. Suddenly they're like a bitch that deserves to die. Did that happen to you? Um, Well, I think at that time with iWeekly, the paper was sort of in a troubling place and Ed Keenan had hired three staff writers to kind of write primarily like the bulk of the content. And I, they hired me and I was 22 and I dropped out of university to kind of do the job for a year. And it was just a lot of content that I had to generate all the time. Like I would go into work and I knew that I had to write one cover story, you know, four CD reviews, three arts profiles and like two reviews. And I would have to get, I'd start at 10 and I'd finish at five and I would have to write everything in like that, you know, seven hours. You're spread, spread pretty thin and, and feeding the goat. Yeah. And I think... He hired me and Sarah Nicole Prickett and Kate Carraway, which is kind of like the trifecta of like young female writers that like write about themselves. And so we I think we attracted like maybe the majority of the paper's page views, but like also the majority of like negative comments. The vitality of the paper rested on like men saying mean things about women writing for the publication. Yeah. And that's how they kind of generated like their ad sales and page traffic. 
I think it's hard because, you know, I was really young when I was in that position. So I didn't know really necessarily how to protect myself or how to say, hey, maybe I don't feel comfortable this week writing about my personal life. Or I remember like they fired their sex columnist, Sasha, because they couldn't afford to pay her anymore. And then Ed made me write a sex column, which I didn't want to do. Yeah. Where I had to review sex toys every week. And it just like became another one of like my editorial duties. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really want to do this. Right. And I think a lot of the time, like young women, I mean, you see it now with like Sachi Cole, who is a friend of mine and just like these young women that they want to be writers and they're kind of forced in this place of public visibility. And I think now because of social media, like, you know what they look like, you see their Instagram page, you see what they look like in a bathing suit. And that becomes like a part of the branding and like who they are. And so you think of them like real people, but then you also feel like you can treat them like crap. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of young women will like walk into that dynamic and there's a certain amount of bravery. And then the, you know, very predictable response is like, why do you think the world cares about your... Yeah. And it's like, well, you know what? I am a writer bringing my wares to a market like anyone else. You know, you pitch a bunch of stories and some get greenlit or you get certain opportunities and other ones you don't. And it's more of a reflection of the industry. I mean, you'll probably never know this because you don't write personal stories about your life necessarily. And I don't think that men have to, right? Because men, people aren't as interested in what a man's experience with the world is like as they are as like yeah. a young woman's. And I think that people are inherently interested in that, but they also want to say like, hey, you're a narcissist or yeah. you're pathetic and self-obsessed and like stop writing about your life. No one thinks you're interesting, but you're the one who's reading and commenting on it. So you must think that it's interesting. Right. You got that far into it. I'm actually- I remember I wrote something and uh, Jonathan Goldsby like formed a blog about me and called me like a public masturbator. Uh-huh. And it's like, I'm just writing for this like sh- all weekly, like for a job so I can pay my rent. And because I like writing and this is just something I like- want to do because I'm, you know, chasing my own interests, you know, and I don't see you writing anything revealing about yourself. So, you know, who is to say what? I can see it as such a trap that is set for young people. And it's a hard one to get out of because even if you succeed in it, how do you get to the next stage of your career where you're doing something different? Yeah, I just saw a BuzzFeed article where like someone in BuzzFeed had to eat cat food. (laughs) Hard hard to try it for Jeffrey Simpson's job after that, you know? Yeah. I'll read those stories. I mean, like... I I, I read it. Not the cat food one, that one too, but like I am way more interested in a confessional autobiographical memoir by a young woman than I am of a young man. And, and it seems like women are too. Like, well, And that's the kind of writing I really love. And that's the kind of writing like I like. And I've always liked those kind of writers. I feel like there's a lot of young women out there who, who have taken that voice and taken it to a new place entirely. Mm-hmm. You know, and who are like, yeah, of course, like, why would I act as if I don't exist as a private person with a sex life while I talk about politics, art, and anything else. Sarah Nicole, Prickett comes to mind, Saatchi. There are writers who are like, have a bit of a, like, yeah, fuck you. I think that's important because, I mean, I think I didn't really feel like I was as much a feminist until I found that community online and actually social media and sort of seeing these women online really own themselves. I wish that that community had existed eight years ago when I was... 22 and writing for iWeekly, I think it would have really helped me read the comments and feel ashamed or think that I'm a bad writer or think, you know, maybe I shouldn't have written about Twilight in an article modeled by a David Foster Wallace article on David Lynch, you know? I think it's important that young people can write on the internet and maybe write something bad and not feel like they've failed, 
completely or that they can't start over and still build like a worthwhile career and continue to write. And I think that sometimes there's this kind of like constant dismissing, like you fucked up, you wrote a bad article, like this person's terrible. And you kind of there's this avalanche of hate or or you write one single tweet and it could like define and destroy your career. How do you like absorb that as you move into just being somebody who is going to talk on your own show every week? Well, I think podcasts for me are a real privilege. And the fact that you go into someone's life and inhabit their personal space. I mean, I listen to podcasts when I'm like folding my laundry or taking a bath or like basically in my most like private, personal, vulnerable moments. After like I've had a big fight with someone, I'll put my headphones on and walk away. Or when I'm kind of like taking a streetcar home like alone at night, you know. And so I think for me... It's like a really new challenge in order to kind of get to maybe that more personal, private place. And I think I just want to be like open and intimate with the people that I interview and try and do something that's like really real and honest. I got that sense so clearly from the interview you did with PJ Voigt from from Reply All. That was uh, I think that was the first interview after your demo reel that I heard of yours. And I was like, oh, phew, we made a good call. <laughs> Thank you. It won't embarrass you if we play a little bit of that, will it? No, it's great. Everyone knows you as the host of Reply All, but there was like a dark four years of your life when you lived in Canada, in Montreal. Lost years. Basically, like the reason that I ended up spending four years in Canada was because of two specifically Canadian bands, The Weaker Thens and The Arcade Fire. And I think I thought that Canada would have all the qualities that The Weaker Thens had. That's so interesting. Like what? Like literate and kind and introspective and like sort of gentle and like it kind of did really (laughs) not everybody but like I do think that like there's a quality that was in that music that was in a lot of people I met like people who you ask them a question and they actually stop and think for a couple seconds before they answer I think that is true but then I also think that like there's also this kind of dark passive aggression that we have too like, I bet if you pissed off John K. Simpson, like, he wouldn't just, like, sing you a song about, like, an explorer in the Northwest Territories. But he, I feel like he has songs that I didn't realize at the time, but thinking back, I'm like, oh, he was warning me. Warning you about what? Warning me that the dark side of Canada would be, like, that people will say pardon as if it's, like, die now. You know, like, people <laughs> can put, can be very politely venomous. I don't know. There's something that feels very playful about how you've embarked upon figuring out who the first batch of interviews are. You seem to be chasing both like artists you have admired and want to speak with. And then like another day, some friend of yours will be in here. (laughs) Yeah, they're all just like wandering through the office, like confused. Bumping into Garth Turner and (laughs) it's getting strange around here. Yeah. I know you guys have never had like the artists. It's always just like media people. Yeah, so pol- now it's politics, like, news, and, and like synth musicians. It's going to be like a weird <laughs> cast of characters. I'm so excited to hear your first episode, and I know that your 50th episode is going to kick your first episode's ass. Oh, thanks. You got the full support of everybody here, and I think that you've also got room to make what you're doing your own. Thank you very much. Chandler, people can subscribe to The Imposter right now. It hasn't debuted yet, but they can subscribe to it and hear a, a little teaser demo. Mm-hmm. They can subscribe through our website at CanadaLandShow.com, or they can go on iTunes and search for it, and they will find The Imposter. The first episode will be live on April 27th, but if you are a detestable Toronto downtown Toronto hipster, elite. if you happen to be in Toronto, we are doing something special 
sneak peek live, not just a podcast taping, but a live podcast performance on April 20th. 420. Bring your vape. What can people expect at this event? It's going to be really awesome. There's going to be live musical performances, um, a house band that's going to score certain passages of the interviews, just like a real podcast. Who's the first musical guest? Who's the band that's playing some songs at this event? There's these two amazing girls from Scarborough, and they go by Bizarre. And they're, they're kind of like the next Erica Badu. They're so cool. They're like these two teenagers. I saw them open for um, the internet, which is like a side project of Odd Future, and they completely blew my mind. They're red. And uh, and then and then live like instrumental stuff during the radio bits. Yeah, uh, by this uh, solo artist. Her name's Anna Horvath, but she goes by Marival, and she does kind of like this ambient folk music. Who else can we announce? I know we've got some kind of like surprise celebrity moments that we're working on, but yeah. are there? Can we announce the comedians or, or the interview subject? Do we know that yet? Is it locked down? I think so. Yeah, um, Matt Johnson is going to be. Um, uh, one of the guests. The film director who is taking a flamethrower to the Canadian cinema establishment. <laughs> yeah, just like a, a lawnmower. And then just, of... yeah, lawnmower, flamethrower, and he's just peeing on whatever's left, and it's... It's, <laughs> it's all lighting up in flames. Yeah, so that'll happen. Yeah. On stage, um, yeah. Any comedians we can... Uh... Murray Tops, who's like one of my absolute favorite comedians in Toronto. He's part of like the Laugh Sabbath uh, collective. And Jackie Pirico, who's like the best female stand. I think she's so funny. Yeah. And she has this like crazy delivery. She's really one of a kind. And I think everyone will just adore her. I'm looking forward to this show. And we're uh, also going to have special, even more special guests that we haven't announced yet. And some because drink- we don't know ourselves, but they and are some drinking games. <laughs> Can you actually drink booze there? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's licensed. Wow. All right. So there go my reservations about uh, the drinking games. Yeah. Okay. 420 in style, you guys. You can buy tickets on the Hot Docs website. You can buy tickets through our website, through our Facebook page. Subscribe to the show right now. Let's get this started. Uh, <laughs> it's like a really weak like pledge. <laughs> like You guys know it. We're all about it. Get on the podcast. <laughs> You're going to fit in just fine. Chandler, w- welcome. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I will read everything you send me and I'll respond when I can. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Click on this week's episode, The Imposter, and you'll find a link to subscribe to The Imposter. And there is a preview of the show up in that show's feed already. And you'll also find a link to ticket sales for our April 20th launch event. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. We've announced our next fundraising goal, and that is health benefits for our staff. The next episode of CanadaLand Commons will be up on Tuesday. The next episode of Shortcuts goes live on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like what we do, please support us. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.